0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Digital Twin Fan Club podcast. I'm Henry Fenby-Taylor, and I'm with Jonathan Monkley and Janine Klepp. Say hello, guys.
1: Good morning, everyone.
2: Good morning, everybody.
1: So, Janine, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, uh, your business, and what's going on in Australia with Digital Twins?
2: okay thank you jonathan so i'm currently the chief executive officer of digital twinning australia digital twinning australia as it says um, by its name our priorities are to digitally twin physical assets with the view to improving how um, asset management is actually um, going to work as we move into the future the company's um, relatively new and small We, when we are fully scaled, which is pre-COVID, we've got about 20 in the business. Um, At the moment, as we're coming out of COVID, we've got um, eight in the business. And we've noticed that more recently between um, the mines and urban development and some resort development that we're actually getting quite a bit of traction happening again. So we'll probably scale ourselves back fairly quickly. For me, the important things around Uh, digital twinning is that it is a way for um, smaller companies rather than necessarily just the bigger ones but for smaller companies to move into the IOT kind of digital world much faster. Through R&D what I have done with my business is actually confirm that we can actually build digital twins using common off-the-shelf products. And that means that um, whether you're a tier three, four, two constructor, heavy or commercial, you'd be able to move fairly quickly into actually building your own digital twins and creating new revenue sources for your clients.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? Because we've been uh, discussing Mm -hmm. this amongst ourselves uh, and I think our feeling has been that, I think, yeah, I think we honestly thought that it was going to be a, uh, a game for the big boys it was going to be about huge consultancies making very big complex systems for very big complex clients so it's kind of interesting to hear you talk about companies that might not be you know the world's biggest getting benefits out of this I've not heard anything about uh, people using digital twins in mining um, what sort of things do they have to cope with
2: well I suppose you <clears throat> you used to be miners over there in the uk but We've now taken that sort of mantle as being, you know, the biggest and the best when it comes to mining. So
0: I accept that job. That's fair.
2: That's <laughs> You've given it all away, we've got it. All right. Anyway, it's not the, it's um, not the first
0: time the UK's given it all away. <laughs> <I must say.
2: laughs> that's right. <laughs> so look, there's a couple of things. One is that the big boys, um, those tier ones, they definitely do have those big products and it, it genuinely um, is still fairly closed source whereas um, what we've discovered is that, um, that those mid-tier products and um, that's whether we're dealing with Microsoft or Amazon as sort of the data lake kind of um, environments or we're in that Autodesk kind of Trimble kind of construction um, area for um, software what we're actually seeing is developments which leads to those products actually being able to provide, you know, about 80% of the environment that you need for small companies. Now, on both sides of that, um, I'm waffling now, um, on both sides. So
0: what is a digital twin yeah. then? This is always a good one. This is always a good oh, question okay. to ask people. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah Cause, Yeah, yeah,
0: it's a source of contention. Well, it it isn't, actually. It never is. But then you look at what is being called a digital twin out there sometimes, and I've got to say, I don't always agree. I was going to say stronger words, like it's fucking cool.
2: Yeah. So when I (laughs) talk about a digital twin, I talk about a a static 3D um, replica of a physical asset. So let's just call it a pump, because everybody understands what a pump is. And so this pump then, all its mechanisms that sit within inside that pump, we actually replicate it. But all it is, is just a digital version of that pump. That pump now is, can be uh, filled with sensors that deal with um, vibration, temperature, flow, um, capacity, all sorts of um, elements that tell you whether in fact the pump is working properly whether the um, the pump is going to fail or not and if it does fail where it would fail we take that information and we put it inside the digital version the static digital version and we create a dynamic replica so what's happening in that pump we now have a digital version sitting on the desktop
0: yeah, it's getting yeah, boring asking I people think. that. Everyone's too busy agreeing with each other. I, I must say, one of the few things yeah.
2: that you,
0: we have had a lot of debate about is a three D model, a digital twin. But I don't. I think we can leave that by the wayside because it's all about that digital uh, communication, the sensors from the physical thing to the digital thing, and that's that's the core of it, isn't it?
2: It is the core of it. I think the difference between what we've experienced so far, people will say, oh, we've been doing this for 50 years. Well, we haven't. Um, What we've been, we've had a lot of point-to-point, so through SCADA systems or DCS-type systems, we can um, turn something off or on, but we can't do anything else with it, and it's only point-to-point. What Digital Twin gives us, simply because of the advancement in technologies, is that we can look at it now from a systems perspective. And it's more than point to point. Now we have multiple elements. A pump in on in and of itself doesn't actually um, give us good climate control. It's actually just simply part of a system that's got instrumentation pipes, and um, switches and all of that work together. And that's what's called a system and twinning allows us to see those systems, which we don't see in a, in, in a skater environment.
1: Mm. That's a really interesting um, point that the point to point evolvement to a system approach is yes. is basic, is basically where the movement's going. So something I, find, I found quite interesting is When you start to look and research digital twin movement um, on the internet, it quite often points back to Australia as being somewhere that it seems to be a little bit more advanced than, say, the UK, or it's been happening earlier. What do you think – it'd be good to hear what drove you to set up the company and and what's been happening in Australia in – What's the secret sauce?
2: (laughs) I'm not sure that I'll share my secret sauce, however. Oh. <laughs> That's it. Look, um, there's usually a, a number of reasons as to why Australia seems to emerge um, as being uh, a bit of a leader. I think in the first instance, what's happened historically is that um, back around 2007, and seven, two. Somewhere in that 2007, 2011, in that kind of period, Australia um, bought quite a number of UK professionals out um, and to activate the whole BIM market in Australia. And so that sort of made some level of penetration. It did stall and it has stalled, but now we've got this next generation moving in and they are seeing um, the advantages simply because of now we're into the IoT type market. They are actually seeing some advantages and being able to leverage. What I did was I have been involved in the development um, through the um, BIM phases. I've also come out of asset management, particularly heavy asset management. And um, I also come from a background in um, organisational psychology. So when I put those things together, I then um, say, we should be able to bring all of these systems together so that the machine and the people can actually work better together.
1: I didn't so know you were in the psychology of
0: it. Interesting. Yeah.
1: So hopefully, right. uh, I was just about to ask, cause that's an interesting point on the BIM movement has stalled in Australia and the yeah. digital twin movement is, is it, is it trampling on the BIM movement? Do you think is it going to is it going to rise above the BIM movement in Australia?
2: Look, I'm uh, look.
1: <laughs> so that's well, that's a think, standard Jonathan yeah. question. Don't mind me. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. No, look. I think it's a good question. I mean, I look at the BIM um, at the BIM movement, and I don't think that it is progressing. Um, i look at the digital twin movement and i don't i see them as two separate things in australia i belong to a lot of associations where we are actually dealing with these two things concurrently and there might be you know a handful of us that belong in one camp and everybody else belongs in the other and we, we are definitely not integrated yet in australia we'll get there but we're not there yet
0: that's interesting. Yeah, I think they are separate. I'd agree with that. I think the reason that they've been connected in the UK is because uh, um, people in the BIM movement uh, don't want to miss the next bandwagon.
2: I think that in the UK provide us <laughs> with policy level. Yes. Right?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
2: Um, But I'm not sure um, that I see the depth in the UK. I see a lot of policy and it's good policy and we Mm. leverage that policy. Make no mistake, we leverage it. Um, The built Britain, which is fantastic. This whole thing about going to level two, that's all fantastic. But it actually gives us a framework to work with, which is nice. What I don't see coming out of the UK is um, the... Uh, granularity that um, say companies like mine are actually delivering so we have twinned a mine right i don 't see those things coming sort of out of a a sector that is is much more mature than us
0: well i want to I really want to hear about that mine I think the reason for um for that is that sometimes we lead with policy um, mm i, I don 't think we did one hundred percent with BIM that was certainly happening. The BIM policy process stuff was certainly happening in the u k but it was a few a small card a small group of people 's view of BIM that was implemented and I think we might end up doing the same thing again uh, with digital mm. twins but i i 'm fairly confident we have avoided that this time. I think we're learning as we yeah. go, go along
1: with policy wise. Um, Anyway, moving on. So yeah. I, I want to know, Karen. Oh, I was just about to say. I think there's been multiple occasions where policy has led policy has policy compliance has trumped value in in BIM, yes. and it has been about if you if you comply with the policy, you automatically add value, and that in a lot of cases, that is the absolute opposite. Yes. I think, and I think we are, we are trying to uh, avoid that. I hope in the, uh, yeah. the digital twin movement. I think to I think that's a really good time to move on to hear about um, this mine project and your clients and how you are adding value through your deliverables too, um, through your okay. business basically. Because as I said, yeah. when
0: we came into this, we were thinking this was all about the big cheeses, the big consultancies doing their doing their thing, and it doesn't sound like that's the case at all.
2: Um, well, not in my case, no. Um, we are a, a, a small organisation. So what we what we had was an opportunity um, where the mine was going through a fairly significant expansion. And with that expansion, um, they wanted to be smart and they wanted to move towards that digital environment. They um, found us, and that was... Um, by word of mouth that we were discovered, so we spent some time with um, uh, with the um, with the sponsor. The sponsor then became fairly clear about what they wanted to achieve and the things that they were looking for um, as requirements for their mine was they needed to reduce the cost to operate. So this is the cost per um, pound or the cost per kilogram to get it out of the ground and onto a ship it's that period so they needed to reduce that when you reduce that um, you're not necessarily just taking direct labor out although what happens is the jobs change in many ways but what you're doing is you're actually finding the source of where problems actually exist so with minerals and mining, we always think that um, if you dig it out of the ground, somehow it's pure, and then we just bag it up and shift it out, Ship it out. But it? in actual fact, it is not quite the case. We have varying degrades and we have a lot of dirt. And so being able to sort out what the product actually is from the rubbish or from any chemicals that get put into the um, the um, a mixture that is actually sorting out the rubbish from the um, actual ore itself, that process has a huge impact on the um, wear and tear on all the equipment from right at the beginning of the process all the way to the end. So with digital twinning, what they wanted to do was to not only just put sensors on all the different um Uh, pumps and and more typical kind of things, what they wanted to do was also find out what the quality of the ore was as early as possible because if they knew that, because today what happens in um, mining is you take a sample and it goes off and 48 hours or 60 hours later, you'll find out what the quality of the ore actually is. Whereas if you actually used sensors, you could get um, an all but immediate feed of exactly what the quality of the ore was and therefore predict what the impact on the asset was going to be.
0: Interesting. Does, does that, that
2: make f- sense?
0: Yeah, I think so. So does that affect... If you know the quality of your ore earlier, does that yes. affect whether or not they even process it? Could they be like, "Well, this bit's not cost-effective," or this bit's, or, or is it about uh, just the machines and uh, yeah, and no. how they need maintaining and that sort of stuff?
2: Yeah, no, it's it can be that um, they treat. Well, there's a few things depending on what product we're actually dealing with, so different types of oil will have different processes associated with it. Okay, but we could be. Yep, so you, you'd be siphoning off as much rubbish as you can before it too much went down. If we put fluid into it, we might those fluids will be create slurries. Those slurries will be full of chemicals, acids, and all those sorts of things. Mm. And so they could have all the mixes wrong. They're going to find out about the mix much earlier so that they don't, you know or they avoid um, environmental issues, or they avoid uh, waste because you can deteriorate the ore by putting in too many chemicals, all those sorts of things. So they're actually finding those things out much earlier. You'll always have rubbish or dirt in it, but it's about how you minimise how much you put in through the system. That's all.
0: Oh, ah, I see. I see.
2: So something that's, uh,
1: uh, well, as that our, our collection of businesses, uh, we are exploring this as a thing. And one of the things that I've highlighted as a potential problem is we can provide the IOT sensors, we can get them the data feeds, but interpreting the data is not something we can do as a company. It sounds like to me, are are you enabling the mind through the the digital twin process and providing the client with the data for them to interpret? Or do you have so, you, do you have any input to the interpretation at all, or do you just literally provide them the data feed and agree like KPIs on the data standards? It's a little bit more
2: than just. A, it's a bit more than a data feed. Um, the um, because we provide, it's a our twin is a visual representation, right? Um, we have a platform and we host that platform for them, and then the data runs through but both the client and us have access to that so they do have access to all of their data and can do their own analytics separately they engage us to do the more advanced analytical interpretations so where a um, geologist might have been looking at assays um, previously, they would still be looking at assays, at, at assays. Previously, only now they're doing it from their computer digitally, rather than walking around with their little bag and, you know, getting their bit of sample and then going off to the to the lab. So it's a little, just a little bit differently about how that happens. Did
0: you say assay was that a thing?
2: Assay, assay, a assay.
0: Okay, tell me what that means, please. <laughs> <laughs>
2: It's um, where you take a sample of the product, uh-huh. um, a proportionate sample of the product, and you use that then to do a chemical analysis to determine um, okay. what grade the is and what all the rubbish is around it.
0: Okay. So we're for- I we're hadn't realised there for- were lots we're- of geologists scurrying around mines. I hadn't realised
1: that. Yeah, no, we're forgiven for not understanding mining terms, Henry.
2: Yes. <laughs> I
1: like to learn. Every day is a school day, huh? So uh, it, w- once you've kind of done this piece of work with this mining client, what kind of, what kind of benefits have they started to see from this? W- what value has this added to them? Objection, leading the witness. Well, has it not <laughs> added well, no, well. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, she's going to say it's added value, but that's not the point. I'm sure it has. Oh, oh I've lost Jonathan. Oh, no, you're still there, yeah. just looking at me forlornly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, how, do, how do I counter that as a lawyer? Um... <laughs> no, don't worry. Don't worry. No, that's a good question.
2: Yeah, look, there's... Um, I mean, to try and um, uh, provide a very balanced answer here, of course we add value. We have to say that, particularly I do. Um, the... Um, and we did, and w- there is a financial metric that um, we um, have calculated with them, and it's to do with the return on capital employed, which is, um, you know, used, you know, in sort of the share market, and it's all around money and how much money they've saved. So in that category, we actually do have um, some really good metrics, and we now know how to calculate those metrics, which was something we learned through the process. The other thing is that we've also had a direct impact on the number of, of of engineers and geologists that are required on site. So whenever something happens, you know, imagine we're, our minds are out in the never-never and we've got to fly in, fly out. So if something happens and we don't have um, engineers and geologists on site, then we have to wait to fly them up because mm-hmm. they, right, so... What it means now for them is that they don't actually have to fly up to have a look at it. They can actually see it on the computer. And the way that we present our digital twins is um, start, if you can imagine almost a photographic view all the way down to, um, you know, line drawings, we, we can actually go the whole the whole depth of it. And so that allows the engineers, if they're more comfortable with line-type drawings, to go and have a look at line drawings, but also be able to see this photographic view of what the maintenance people might be looking at or what a manager or a supervisor might be looking at actually on site. And that's allowed for greater collaboration. Mm. These guys actually have to talk to each other, which is fabulous. It (laughs) means that we we can have um, more people talking at the same time. So instead of it just being, um, he's, this person is my mate, so I will just talk to them, it actually means that everybody now can get on and have a look and collaborate collectively. And that includes operations managers as well as the foreman, as well as the maintenance, as well as the engineers. And they haven't been able to do that before. So that's a benefit.
1: So mm. it's at a super high level. It's allowed them to engage remotely rather yes. than having to physically travel.
2: Yes. So that's a,
1: a huge. Well, there's. We thought our site visit
0: costs were high in the UK. I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Flying across Australia is is yeah. It's not small. It's not small. And there's on.
1: and there's sort the of CO two re- reduction in CO two reduction in, or improved health and safety because there's less people on site. Yes. So, there's lot, lots of different angles there. Now, yes, yeah. this all sounds uh, sounds brilliant so far, and everything's perfect. However, in, interesting, <laughs> and Henry picked up on the fact that you have a background in business psychology. Yes, I'm interested. So, in <laughs> interesting that obviously, digital to and digital to adoption, anything in an emerging technology space, irrever- irrelevant of what it is, requires an aspect of change management and getting people aligned. Is that where you're? experience in business psychology comes in getting people to want to adopt this stuff and managing the change process of getting their head around of not visiting the site because they can have their data kind of remotely.
2: I think that what it's what it's meant um, is that um, I, I have a, a view about how you go about the change management process. My And my view is actually a little bit different than sort of what change management has actually become today um, which I'm sometimes I can be uh, critical about Um, and the reason for that is that I don't think everybody can um, um, change number one I think some people just don't fit in some things and so therefore that is different than trying to actually get them to change. We've got to find something else for them to do. Um, and I think that um, digital twinning and IoT have made things really complex. So there are lots of moving parts. This one-to-one is quite easy to kind of associate with, but when it's one-to-many and it's multi-dimensional that's a whole different sandpit. And so what I actually talk about with my clients is that what we need to do is we need to provide something small that's really tangible and that we can scale and we get as many people involved in helping to build that as possible so that they can build their own confidence and knowledge about what a digital twin is and see for themselves where they may or may not fit. So they become part of the solution, not just considered to be part of the problem. Now, so I do a, I have a very different approach to actually how we do it. So I build and they will come. The, like the movie,
0: Nice. Field of dreams.
2: That's it.
1: Field of dreams. Field of dreams. So it, it's kind of, you're, you're producing like a, um, a proof of concept very, very quickly with like law entry requirements for investment. So not huge amounts of money, not changing everything at once. But bringing right. people along, I think is that is the key there as well. It, I mean, the yeah. whole
2: minimal viable product, not from an IT kind of perspective, but, but yes, it is that pilot that's minimal, that brings everybody along and it also brings the executives along, or the decision makers in the organisations along, because generally I find that the um, the workers they're fine, they've actually got it, and they've been they want to do it. It's the managers who have worked their way up the ladder and haven't probably stayed as relevant as what they they thought they should be or could be, or they've just been too busy doing something else. Whatever it is. They just can't get their head around it. So we've got to we've got to bring them in really cu- early and really quickly, so that they actually um, don't look silly.
0: <laughs> nice. So I do want to know: Are you um, Kevin Costner or James Earl Jones, or both?
2: Kevin Costner.
0: The <laughs> yeah, <I> can call.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> I think, obviously, I think, well, i going, going to start <laughs> yes. again now. going to start again because I said that horrendously. In the UK, I think, uh, we were discussing this today, Henry, um, Digital Twin two years ago was very much at, or oh, maybe 18 months ago, was very much at the top of the hype cycle mm. um, in terms yeah. of new technology. I think it started to make its way to the trough of disillusionment um, in the UK because it's kind of like, well, we've got this idea um, there's all this new technology, w- what do we do with it? Uh, w- and that brings me on to the point, in Australia, where is Digital Twin? Is it is it starting to be adopted at a broad scale? Is it niche pockets? Where do you see it going over the next two years?
2: Um, look, the conversations that I've been having um, over the last few months, I'd have to say that it's it's fairly broad. Because um, I um, have had conversations with um, uh, infrastructure, and that's around um, not just raids, uh, roads and rail, but also dams and um, substations. So that kind of that sort of level of infrastructure um, in the um, urban development area, it has been around um, the building of. Uh, resort type facilities and how we need to think differently about how we build them so therefore we have to visualise them differently and um, in this sense it's about thinking about a resort like a precinct and now we're dealing with um, movement and traffic flow and the use of space versus place those sorts of things Um, so I can you know I've had quite a few conversations in that area the other one um, where I have um, have gotten a bit excited because I think it's a wonderful thing is with the architects actually becoming more willing to look at uh, twinning because you know for them what it would mean is not only um, um, getting ownership again of their own designs, but actually creating new revenue. So sort of apart from that, it certainly makes them accountable. So they might come up with the best facade under the sun. Um, But uh, if you can twin it and then they have, uh, you know, confirm that all the reasons why they picked that facade because of its um, safety or its um, uh, how it works with the elements or whether it can catch fire or not or whatever it is, Um, it means that they then are becoming more accountable for some of the decisions that they're making. So I think that's a wonderful thing.
0: So, yeah, their designs aren't just an elaborate facade.
2: That's right. Sorry.
0: Someone's (laughs) got to do it. Someone (laughs) had to say it, surely.
2: So that, and mining, of course. I I didn't want to go on about mining, but of course there's mining. But so I think, you know, it's all in in that more heavy industry. I don't move in the... In the residential area so I don't really know about that sector Um, so I I wouldn't comment on that one
0: I think it's interesting um, talking about resorts because we've been having discussions about building management systems being a digital twin according to some experts in the UK Mm -hmm. and I think I always I accepted that because that is a representation of the building but when you say resorts, suddenly you're dealing at a different scale. And I think suddenly it's a system of buildings. And it seems like that's a slightly more appropriate time to start thinking about a digital twin, is not, not just one building and how that's being used. But if you've got a resort, a resort is being used in a very systemic way. You know, breakfast is at this time, lunch is at this time, dinner is at this time, this restaurant's open then, this restaurant's open then, this activity happens then, et cetera, et cetera. Everything's very regulated. But Mm. it must be very difficult to see how that all fits together into how your building and your resort and your buildings
2: operate. Yes. Good. So that movement and flow of people through the different um, times of a, d- of a day versus a week versus a month is can be modelled. It can be modelled on paper, you know, in a more mathematical sense, but to actually um, see those flows um, visually beforehand is actually quite powerful. The other jobs and, Jobs, the other revenue sources that it actually shifts towards as well is that when you look at it from a resort perspective, you're dealing now with refurbishments or, all right, and those refurbishments, and that could be events actually in terms of how you set up an event versus. Um, every two years, we've actually got to, you know, change the linen or paint the walls or do whatever it is that we need to do, where those time scales used to be uh, much longer. They're actually getting shorter and shorter for people to actually maintain their um, um, interest or their, um, you know, excitement for their for their. For their customers, and so what it means is that you're actually able to also sequence that in to what it what the daily grind of all the other activities are going on, and so without actually losing revenue, but um, also managing your stuff. So it starts to get more and more complicated as we put more and more layers through.
0: I hadn't thought about that because you know I I mean the more you think about it the more complex it gets because it's yeah. it's seasonal as you say you have one off events and you're getting to that point where there's so much going on that it's almost impossible to predict and there's going to be lots of issues that happen in a hospitality setting that will go unmanaged untreated um yes. because they're outside of the expected operating parameters you know this is what yeah. we do we do it every day it's fine. But you you need to be able to take that helicopter view and really see the, see the place as a whole, I guess, um, while having that ability to go right down into the detail if you need to.
2: Mm. I think another way of looking at it as well is that, if, like in a mall, someone owns the mall and then they lease out all the shops within a mall. So um and then there are support service supplied to to that more well that's fantastic um, at one level, and that works. There's no doubt about that it works. However, they're all very fixed. There's no pop-up. There's no um, flexibility around how those malls actually um, function when they're going through various life cycles. So when they get built, they're built based on a population, and that pop- and it might work and it might not work. But if you wanted to, you know, they people assume that, um, all the 18-year-olds were going to walk down that corridor and therefore all the shops there were for the 18-year-olds. Only the 42-year-olds now walk down there and that nobody gets to sell anything right yeah. and so how do you change it how do you actually quickly work with those retailers to change that so that not only the customers are benefiting but the retailers are benefiting and as the owner of that complex or manager of that complex you're looking like you um you know you care so there are it it allows us to look at those facilities in different ways and also look at them Um, not as fixed little spaces that have to be refurbished, but that we can treat them like pop-ups. I don't even know what it'll look like, but you can imagine there's lots of pop-ups and somehow it all hangs together. We could be changing things more regularly to accommodate the changing populations and move around.
0: Yeah, I know that can be an issue with uh, uh, getting, you know, some places in malls that end up, being unused for months or years because it's it's very slow and complex to change so yeah any anything that reduces that complexity for the business seems like something good good for everybody in the sense of faster turnaround for the mall owner uh you can get access to that that shop for the shop owner and you can get access to that shop as the customer quicker
2: And if if that mall owner, you know, actually had the model, then what it means is that all those small construction companies who do those sorts of refurbishments, you know, they just might be um, a couple of utes and, you know, three or four people, right? But what it would mean is that they, in fact, could have access to these digital models that then would allow them to develop their own skills. It would allow them to build capability. It would allow them to move into different types of markets. They might then, you know, think about looking after the maintenance or think about doing something else. It could be, it just opens up a whole new world for those smaller um, suppliers.
1: Something that's frustrated the UK market is... um, that Digital Twin has been pushed as a piece of software.
2: Oh, right, yeah.
1: Um, That's the appropriate response. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so all, all the major vendors are like, buy a Digital Twin solution, spin the model in the web. Great. Yeah. Um, so I would like to ask you a question that basically says, start off. so in the UK, Janine, um, something that happened probably around 12 months ago was a lot of the major software vendors... Started push and and some minor vendors actually have started pushing their digital twin solution. Um, I don't see digital twin as a piece of software. I see the the there's, there's you you need software and technology, but I see that you, you need services. You need people. You need facility management expertise. Does your company offer a software solution, or do you kind of see what the clients using and pick things off the shelf and say, well, you need this for your particular problem? etc etc
2: on the one hand we do have um, a software solution um, because we see it as a tool that actually enables the our clients to um, do two things one is that it actually allows them to get a handle on their um, assets And that's all to do with utilisation and cost. But it also, probably more importantly, it's about finding um, the new operating models that will generate new revenue streams. And that probably is uh, less to do with the technology than it is with anything, because Mm. we're so fixed on how we actually operate based on our bits of kit or our bits of technology that we're very, very linear. And what... Our, what this whole twinning has done, it's just simply provided us with a means of reducing costs, creating new revenue streams, and heck, there's a piece of kit that you know will help you do that.
0: I see. Does that answer your question?
2: Not really, I can tell the look on his face. Um. <laughs> <laughs> we can build them a digital twin. Hmm. It kind of does.
1: It kind of does. So I think you always need... I, I just remember on the original conversation, we talked about um, how you used Azure and data lakes.
2: Yeah.
1: That, I mean, it does, it does answer the question. You need technology to produce digital it's tools. Good. But um, it's not... It seems like you're not offering a technology-first approach, if that makes sense.
2: No, it's not. No, I wouldn't... Oh, no, you're right. I wouldn't call it a technology first. Well, I'm not going out there selling technology. I'm selling a digital twin, but it's not just technology. Yes, I leverage everything the organisation's got um, and I show them how to use that technology um, and I can even help them host that technology whilst they build their internal capability to adjust to new operating models. Because it changes the operating model, we don't just replicate what we've always done. It actually does change it, and if and that's who we work with. We don't work with people necessarily who just want to, um, you know, shining up something that is already operating badly. Yes, (laughs) right. Not interested. (laughs) Right.
0: Yeah, (laughs) it's the whole. you're almost changing the operating parameters, aren't you, of how the business is operating. And yes. uh, I, think, I think that's an area we need to get under because the way I see Digital Twins being implemented at the moment is as a um, bit of a black box um very often you know here's here's the solution and here's what you need to do uh but i think that applies to anything really if you're going in to change a business in any any means or, or matter you need to talk to people you need to understand them and you need to involve them engage them and that sounds like the area where you've uh, perhaps uncovered some little gems uh, in the mining industry, so what, what sort of extra revenue do? You, uh, what sort of changes actually happen?
2: Okay, so in the um, well, there's uh, there's a couple of things. One is around data and data management, mm. and so where the current technologies basically um, collect mountains of data, and then nobody knows what to do with it because it's all too overwhelming. Um, and so what we end up doing now is that we say, right, well, here's a critical system that gets you from A to B, and it could be reduction in the cost of uh, uh, the cost to operate, so dollars per pound, dollars per kilo, and you say, right, well, this is our target, this is what we're going to go for. So what would happen in when you're looking at that, you then work out where all the costs are actually being distributed. And you can then take sections of it out and instead of keeping those people, for example, you then say we're going to set up a little business and you're going to be a little maintenance company and you're going to sit over here and we've got three clients. We're going to give you these three clients and you're going to go over here and you're going to do this maintenance and we're going to give you um, this technology to help support you do that while you build that capability. In another one, we've got where the, um, the specialisation is in um, acids and things like that. And so the company, the mining company has said, we can't do this internally as well as we can outsource it. So we're going to give it to somebody else. And so that company now is saying, right, all right, what we want to do is that we want to twin their Equipment so that we can provide a better service. In providing a better service, they now have another revenue stream, just like that other company creates a, a maintenance company. Now, because I'm providing a better revenue stream and that revenue stream could simply be they're now able to predict when something's going to happen or when something does happen and we're in the middle of a COVID and they can't fly off to do it, to fix it, they can actually visually talk the the people on the ground through what needs to be done now that is an additional service which gets an additional revenue source mm.
0: so i guess they're they're then able to uh, as you say be inverted commas on site much more easily um yes. but there's also a level of transparency here that i don't think exists in a lot of um in a, in, in the operation of a lot of Assets they're doing all sorts of things from mining to schools um, There's often uh, a very complex and layered set of Contractors and operatives who are involved doing things Yes, but they don't have that overview of what's actually That's happening or or really a way to influence
2: it That's correct. And I think I mean, it's still fairly early days with twinning, but You can well imagine when you take your scenario where these twins will in fact, um, parts of these twins will become, you know, public where people can actually see therefore where they fit in. We can still deal with all the security issues and protect it and all that, but at least they will get to see where they do fit in to the puzzle because the supply chain is very, very long and particularly at a mine, the miners themselves Uh, don't do all the work. They actually contract it all out. And Mm. these contractors are trying to reduce their costs but improve their service. So there's always something going on on that continuous improvement and there's always something going on with safety. So if you could see the whole picture, it would, in fact, start to change um, at a much larger scale or a higher helicopter level what those operating models are really going to look like.
1: Really interesting the uh, the new revenue streams because that's, I don't think that's really been explored in the UK too much, has it, Henry? The idea of creating new business. It's always been about improving the approach to asset management, reducing the cost, reducing the carbon. Because um, I suppose we haven't really explored a lot, of the, a lot of the real business case aspects of it in the UK, have we?
0: Yeah, we've we got very focused on it. It's, it's a really good idea. And where does the idea go, and how do we make the idea work?
1: Whereas, and how do we standardise the idea? Which uh, anyway, which uh, leads me on to my next question. Which we're at, we're doing a podcast um, shortly, or in the next couple of weeks, on something called the UK Information Management Framework for digital twins, which is looking at an approach to standardise data sharing across digital twins yep yes what are your thoughts on that the idea of standardizing the approach because uh, uh, the concept in the uk is to have uh, uh, the national digital twin and connect clusters of twins uh clusters of roads clusters of rail networks and share information management across that um yes. connected infrastructure so ov- obviously you would think there'd have to be some kind of standard so we are exploring the idea of the information management framework, what are your thoughts on standardising the approach for digital twins in terms of information management sharing?
2: Well, I think that an enormous amount has already been done in this area and the UK are actually leading it. We, I think Australia, mirrors what you've actually done in terms of trying to get the standards. So um, I don't disagree with it. What I have a problem with is that, we want to create a written standard before we actually do anything, which means that we never end up doing what we said we were going to do because we're too busy trying to work out how to write down what we should do. So Well, you just um, you tell us like I it probably, is. I mean that's
1: that's about yeah, that is the that is a good chunk of the UK construction industry right there. <laughs> <laughs> Let's decide what we should do before we actually do it and write it down and then do something entirely different because it's too complex what we've written no, down. I think it, it's, okay. a, it's, it, it's
0: just down to the fact that we're a big business, inverted commas, whoever we are, we're a big business. We know this is happening. We know this needs to happen. We don't really have the time, money, or inclination to invest in making it happen. Tell us what to do and we will, inverted commas, do it more inverted commas and I say inverted commas do it because I think I mean by do I mean comply with the standards and that's not always the same thing as doing it is it
2: correct and I saw a wonderful podcast not podcast a video the other day and it was a professor out of I can't remember which university in America but somewhere in America and he was talking about the theory of standards and that when you set the standard, that um, what happens is that we all, all the all the companies who operate above the standard, drop to the standard, <laughs> because the standard is based on the lowest common denominator. And so, therefore, what we effectively do is dumb ourselves down to a standard that everybody. I would can love make.
0: to know and the what comp- that paper is or who. The-
2: I will. I'll find. I'll find that for you. It's very good and it's so simple, right, the way he's done it. And I actually, I, I, I agree with it. Now, what what's happened with IoT is that we have got lots of companies, companies like mine, and then there's this uh, massive amount of other companies around the world, we've only found a few of them, who have the view that says, well, no one's going to organize these standards. It's going to take generations before the standards actually line up. So, what we'll do is we will work out how to harmonize the data from that structure to that structure so we don't have to have the argument. And that's how I approach it. Just getting it.
0: on with it, basically. That's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> just getting on with it. Yes. Just we the- just get on
2: with it. We work yeah, out how just to solve do the it. problems. And it's not like yeah, it's not like the old days when we used to have to do that, you know, data mapping. You probably can't, you blokes, you're probably all too young, but I can remember, you know, the data mapping and it was a very laborious process. All that's gone. We don't have to worry about any of that. now. It's much more intelligent. It's much more automated. It's it's fine. And if it's 80% there, that's good enough because let's face it, it's better than nothing. Absolutely. What do you
1: think's next? Oh, in the next, what's on the five-year roadmap for your company then? So where do you see Digital Twin in Australia going?
2: So Digital twinning in Australia, as I said before, is relatively young. And so we have a small number of clients. In the next uh, two to three years, um, I hope to have many clients, um, and I will keep them within the sectors of um, urban development, infrastructure and mining. In doing that, I think the priority though for us is to actually build um, capability. And so I'm going to be investing a lot more in schools to actually um, accelerate the um, growth of digital twin capability at a secondary level so that we can push the tertiary along. So that'll be a priority for me. Um, I would imagine that within about five years if I've done what I'm supposed to have done that we will be offered millions of dollars by some wealthy kind of organization and we'll all retire happy Um, and then I'll move on to my next thing right Um, but in the meantime what I think um, a lot of people can be doing is to explore if you're working with any of the construction type softwares you should actually have a really good look at them because you can be building twins now it doesn't matter how basic they are just build them and once you start building them you'll start to see where additional revenue streams will come from i can't tell you where they're going to come from you're the experts in your respective businesses but you will see them because because you'll start looking at that data differently and you'll start listening to what your customers actually want and then you'll start to see how you can actually provide them with additional services and those services you'll be able to charge for because they are legitimately adding value to your customers.
1: So the key thing for a digital twin is to legitimately add value to the client.
2: Absolutely.
0: So thanks for listening to another episode of the Digital Twin Fun Club podcast. That was uh, a really enjoyable conversation with Janine. She was a great source and really knew her stuff. I'm straight up and down. Um, Thank you very much from myself, Henry Femby Taylor and Jonathan Monkley. Please come check us out on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Google, on your phone, on your computer, on your laptop. Send us a pigeon. Do what you like. I'm not your boss. If I am your boss, um, yeah, you need to you need to like me on Twitter and on, on and on LinkedIn, um, uh, and just in general, please.
2: Thank you.